no power of hell, no scheme of man. I mean, come on. I mean, talk about fearless, this idea that nothing can pluck us from his hand. And I got so caught up in that moment, first hour, I was like still kind of like just in this worshipful moment, that song, that whole thing. I mean, how good was that? And uh, I came up here and I meant to say, um, <laughs> I meant to say, hey, share with somebody around you one of your most common fears. Instead, I said, share with somebody around you your favorite fear. So I was like, they're all like, what? So anyway, I know you don't have a favorite, but share with somebody around you your most common fear or a common fear that you have. You don't have to share your deepest, darkest one. Just like, what is it, you know? Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see if some themes emerge here, and we'll have some fun with that. So go ahead and share with somebody around you. have a few. It sounds like we got a fear too. Where, where are the snake people at? I know they're out there. Where you at? All right. It's biblical, folks. Genesis 1, all right? The serpent cannot be trusted, all right? And uh, I'm a snake guy myself. What about like insects, specifically spiders? Where are the spider people? Nobody ever was like pleasantly surprised by a spider. Like, oh, hey, little guy, you know? Maybe a few of you. You're the weird ones. You're the outliers. Um, there's a lot of them we could name, right? And some of you maybe got deep, and somebody next to you was like, wow, that's like, we talk about that later. That's, that's deep, right? Uh, but we have some phobias. We all have fears, right? And uh, I found this cool thing from like a year ago that was like the most Googled phobia by state. And so here, if you're wondering what states are afraid of, uh, I'll just show you this chart. And I feel like the weatherman with this. Like, you know, like uh, we're getting, seeing a little bit of blood like through the middle here, um, you know. A lot of blood fear down here, you know, in Texas. Uh, <laughs> but like, okay, there's some ones that like make sense like to me, like failure. That's like Ohio. That's us. We're, we're afraid of failure apparently, and that seems like it makes sense. It means we're striving, you know, we're we're going big, you know, we're afraid of failing. Uh, blood makes sense, and here's why. Because if there's blood, there's usually a problem, okay, just in general. Especially if it's your own blood, and you're like, okay, I get that one. I do not want to see my own blood. Uh, needles kind of make sense with that. You know, some of you don't like to get a shot. Um, you know, there was definitely some interesting ones here. Like, okay, we got some spots kind of like in New Jersey and New York where they're like, uh, or New Jersey and uh, one of those other, Rhode Island, one of those other little states, they're afraid of intimacy. It's like, they're the ones, like, they went deep. Like, we're afraid of intimacy. They're not getting together with anybody in Mississippi because they're afraid of being alone. So it's like, you got, like, the two, I don't want intimacy, I don't want to be alone, I don't know, you know. I'm glad that Wyoming finally brought this one up, you know, uh, because, I mean, seriously, though, like, who came up with the clown idea, for, especially for, like, kids' birthday parties? Like, this is, like, the weirdest, like, dress up like a really creepy dude, you know, like, big lips, hair, the whole thing, blow up some balloons. Kids are going to love it. Do not bring a clown to my birthday party, okay? I'm just saying, and uh, I don't know. I'm still not a clown guy. Maybe it's because of Ronald McDonald. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, uh, it's like the stuff of nightmares. Um, 
There's, a, there's some interesting ones too. Like one of the other ones I was like, what was the age of this study that like West Virginia is still scared of the dark? You know, like that's the thing. Like, yeah, but I, like we sleep with the lights on in West Virginia. You know, like that's, I guess. But one I was most confused about, somebody explained this to me later, was what is going on in New Mexico? Like New Mexico and Hawaii, like fear of holes. I, I don't know. You guys, watch out for the holes in those states, all right, if you're traveling there. I don't know. I'm not trying to make light of people's fears. Maybe I am. I, I don't know. I've got my own, and uh, we all have them, right? Our fears differ, but we all have them, which is why this series that we've been in has been so good, because, like, those are just some fun ones, right? Um, but when we really get down to it, we've got some significant fears. I mean, we do. You know, whether we like to admit it, no matter how tough we might appear on the outside, like, internally, we all deal with this thing. In fact, fear is a function that God gave us. It's an emotion that God gave us. And in the right setting, in the right moment, and expressed in the right way, it's important, right? This is the whole fight or flight thing. Like, fear ramps you up in an important way, right, to respond to maybe a stimulus or whatever it is. Like, God gave us fear. And so, fear is actually a good thing if applied in the right way, if um, if we experience it in the right way. And so fear is a constructive thing. But what we've been talking about in this series is what does it look like to be fearless? Fearless. And we did this little exercise actually right here around this room as a staff this week where we played some worship music and we had some different prompts to kind of think through and reflect. And uh, one of them was really around this topic of what does it mean to be fearless in your own words? And it was interesting to me, like, as we kind of, there was like a theme that really kind of was, was very similar, and it was, it was one of the things that I had kind of said, too, and for me, I just basically wrote what it means to be fearless is trust is greater than my fear, because here's the reality. There, fearless doesn't mean that I just don't have any fear. That's not, that wasn't the reality for Joshua. That's not the reality for anyone, but what happens when we're fearless is it means that our trust exceeds our fear that our trust exceeds our fear. And what we've been really trying to get our heads around and our hearts around this series is that when we serve God, the God of the Bible, that he, when we trust in him, our fear can be less. The more that we trust in him, the less we have to be crippled by fear. And so when we see Joshua, we look at his story, and this, by the way, this, the uh, what really has been the basis, the framework for the series has been Joshua 1 through, and I think we're going through like five. And uh, these first several chapters of Joshua, basically what's happening is Moses kind of took the ball downfield, and now the backup quarterback's coming in, you know, the next guy in line, and here's Joshua. And I just got to imagine, like, I mean, Moses is a legend, and he's kind of led them out of Egypt, right, out of the land of slavery. They've wandered for a long time. God's been faithful, though, through it all. And now, basically, Moses, you know, he had kind of a lapse in judgment at some point. And God's like, hey, uh, buddy, you're not going to see the promised land, but that's okay. Thanks for your work here. And uh, then Joshua is going to be the one to kind of bring them into the promised land. But can you imagine following up Moses? Like, this guy's a legend, you know? And here you are, you're Joshua. You're like, okay, here's the baton. And the Lord, what's the first thing he tells him in Joshua 1? Be strong and courageous. Usually God knows what we need, right? And for Joshua, it's like, I don't know if I'm the guy, you know, but he has this. So there's no way that Joshua approached the moment and all of the stakes of what was ahead of him with 
without any fear. Yet he responded in a way that was fearless. He trusted more, he feared less. And that is the call of this series. That really is what all of us, I'm really hoping that all of us can grab a hold of throughout this series. And not just in a way where like, oh yeah, I get that in my head. But what would it look like if we actually lived the way Joshua did as he, with a fearless response, takes steps into the promised land? Even over and over again, as it seems like it just seems impossible, even as we get closer, it's like, man, now we got a, a river ahead of us. Like, what are we going to do about that? Like, can't forge this thing. Like, this isn't the Oregon Trail, you know? Like, what are we going to do? And so God shows up, as we saw last week, and last week we saw this epic moment. I'm like, Stephen got this great message, right? He starts to talk about the river opening up. Like, the, he's like, I'm like, how did those topics work out? You know, he wrote it. So he's like, he gets, he gets that cool moment where we're like living in the miraculous moment, you know? And here we are now, and, and, and here's where we're picking things up. We're on the other side of the Jordan now. You ever been in one of those moments like, man, I just experienced the most epic thing in the world, and then everything goes back to everyday life? And you're like, oh. Now what? Like, what do we do after the miracle? What do we do after we overcome the obstacle? What do we do after we're walking in victory? And that's what I want to talk with you about today. And I could give you the entire message in case some of you got other things to do today. I could give it to you in a word. I hope you stay, though, because there's going to be more good stuff, hopefully. One word. Here, here's what we do on the other side of the Jordan moment. We remember. We remember. That's it. We remember, on the other side of a God moment, what we'll see today is that we build a monument. God moment, God monument. And so as we talk today, we're going to be talking about God mo monuments. And what this is, is this is us tangibly, intentionally remembering God, who he is, what he's done. We remember, and this is what Joshua's going to tell the people, listen, on the other side of God's provision, on the other side of God's power, we remember who it was that delivered us. We remember his undeniable power, his unrestrained strength, his perfect provision, his faithful protection, his faithfulness. That is what we remember. And so God tells Joshua, build some monuments. And there's great biblical precedent here, especially in the Old Testament, of physical monuments being built to memorialize an event that should not be forgotten. Sometimes they just flat out like rename a place. So like this place is renamed this because this happened here. And they talk about a good memory or they rename somebody like this. You got a new name now. Here's why. Because God showed up in your story. And so now that changes everything. You can't ever approach life the same because this happened. And so we build these monuments and Aiden actually asked me on the way in, he's like, Dad, what are you talking about today? I'm like, I'm talking about God monuments. He's like, oh, cool, what's that? I'm like, explain it to him. I'm like, and they're like talking about how they built these altars and these, these, these moments, these monuments around. He's like, well, how, how do we do that today? That's a great question. I should have answered that in the message. You know, I was thinking, well, that's good. Because we can't just go around building things in places that happen, right? Like, man, I had this God moment in the grocery store. Like, let's, you know, I'm going to stack these cans, and this is going to be, this place is now called, I, that just popped into my head. That was such an ADD thing to do. <laughs> but what do we do today? We, what do we do? One of the things we just did, we, we, we do things like communion, right? We come around these moments. We remember these moments. We have this tradition that is coming around God's table in communion to remember the cross, and this is an altar, because what are we doing? We're, we're remembering what is most important. We're remembering God. We're remembering all that God did. We do this in different ways. Some of you journal. 
We have a couple, of week, uh, couple traditions that we do. I'll give you an example. One of them is a weekly tradition, and we, on our Sabbath day, which is usually kind of Friday night into Saturday, we have a Friday night movie night. And what we do is we go around the table, and we do this even with young kids, and say, all right, tell us about the good stuff, the bad stuff, and tell us, um, you know, about just if something, you know, is inspiring to you this week or whatever. We kind of go through kind of like happy's crappies kind of deal, you know, happy's crappies sappies, we call them, you know. So we, we like go through this, and then with the point of it all is not just to share our stuff, but to say, oh, man, look at what God has done this week. Like, look at how God's provided this week. Look at his provision. Look at and we do this on a yearly basis, too. Actually, our New Year's Eve has become eating a bunch of, like, delicious food prior to, like, detoxing the next day. And so we eat all the things, and then we, we look at, like, our camera. Uh, we just put up on the big TV, like, our camera roll from the week, like, or from the year. Like, let's look at all the moments. Let's share the stories, and let's recap, because, man, God has done a lot of cool stuff this, this year. And so we remember. There's a lot of ways that we can do this. That's why Sunday morning is important. That's why us coming together in various ways is important. That's why community is important. But we remember God. We build monuments. And let me tell you today, what I'm not going to answer is as much of what that looks like for you. But what I do want to share with you today is why God monuments matter. Why it matters that we remember. And I feel like this really comes to the surface in the story of Joshua 4. And here's the first one. God monuments anchor us to our shared story. So here we are, we're on the other side of the miracle. God has opened up a river, which shouldn't surprise us because he's God, but it's pretty surprising. It's pretty epic. It's, it's, it's amazing. Not many of these guys are going to see anything like that in their lifetime again. And so it says that when this is all over and when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And later he tells them that this is significant because this is going to mark, be a marking moment, a sign of God's power for the generations. And so this is important. And so the first thing that God monuments do is they anchor us to our shared story. Notice, it's subtle here, the whole nation. The whole nation was represented. This was a, a national story. This was a story that, was, that, in, that really encapsulated all of God's people. And notice that he says, I want you to have a representative from each of the tribes, right? Because there's all these tribes, and I want everyone to be a participant in this. And so in that, Joshua is reminding the people, the Lord via Joshua is reminding the people that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's important. Because I think sometimes we can kind of get in our own little lane and be like, this is just like my story. It's this kind of really narrow little, so this is just my story. And it becomes kind of this small story. But we forget that we're really, our story falls within a much larger story that actually makes our story make sense. And it's God's story. God's redemptive story. And by the way, story was everything in Joshua's day. They would sit around like the fire at night. They would be sharing these stories. And this is how things were really translated and replicated through the years is through the oral tradition, meaning they were storytellers. They told stories, and so this was natural for them to tell these same stories over and over again so that they would not forget. So storytelling was really critical. So God instructs Joshua to get a representative from each tribe to grab a stone. And these stones, listen, would be the prompt for a story. Because he says, then when they ask, the future generations ask, here's what you tell them. You get to tell them the story. And so this monument then really becomes 
just this opportunity to tell the story of what God has done, and they remind us of the greater story that each one of us finds our place in. And we are a, we are a people, uh, uh, as, as humans, we are really shaped by story. I mean, think about it. Think about really just the fact that each one of us has a story that we've been written into a greater story. And stories, just think about watching a movie or watching, they, they have this way of just really like impacting us down deep. Why? Because there's themes that emerge that remind us of the story that we're a part of. Stories inspire us, they instruct us. And so when we think about what Joshua's doing here, he's helping them anchor back to this story, the story of God the redemptive God, the God of love, the God who frees us, delivers us, the God that opens up rivers without even breaking a sweat. Philosopher Alasdair McIntyre says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part of? You want to know what to do? You want to do, know what to do next? You got to remember, you got to remember the, what story that you are living in, and that is God's story, and it is a shared story. The more that we remember it, the more that we reinforce it. Eugene Patterson, I like the way he says it. He says, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. Could it be the reason why so many of us kind of feel lost and really just lost in our day if we really search within and be like, man, I just feel lost? Is because we have exited the story in which our story finds its meaning. Every other story can only find its fullest, truest meaning within the story of God. There's no exceptions. We only find our story when we re-anchor ourselves to God's story. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's a good news story that traces itself back to the days of Joshua. We see a God that will do anything to bring his people back to him. And God was laying the groundwork for the redemptive plan that he would carry out through the person of Jesus. And this isn't just one of our stories. This is our story, this story that we share today, these stories that we share every weekend, this is us building a monument to say, this is the story that we find ourselves in the middle of. This is why we share new stories of God's faithfulness, and we share our testimonies with each other, and we say, hey, listen to what God did, because it inspires us, it reminds us that we're part of a bigger story. And by the way, sometimes I hear people say, well, hey, I just kind of do my faith in my lane, like this is just my thing over here, and like you know, obviously I'm a big advocate for the local church. I'm a big advocate for community. And the reason why is because I don't see a single example in Scripture where somebody just had their faith. I don't see it. They were part of a bigger story. And so we need each other. We need to continue to inspire each other to live the kind of stories that fall within God's greater story. And so we build God monuments to do that very thing to remind ourselves of the story that we are a part of. The second thing is this. God monuments fortify future generations. I got on a big tangent on this one earlier, so I'm going to try to just keep it pulled in. But this is something I care about. I mean, you talk about, like, my kids, my grandkids. We talk about the future generations. It's something that I care about. And here's the deal. The moments that we remember, the monuments that we construct, the things that we elevate today have a generational effect. There is no way around it. 
The decisions you make right here and right now, and I'm not talking about for your kids, but for all of our kids, those decisions have a generational effect. And so Joshua said, listen, when he set up the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan, he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And so what he's saying here is, hey, this story isn't just for your generation. This is for all the generations that come after you. And so it is important that we elevate this, that this is the thing that matters the most. We, uh, in our old neighborhood, we used to have these little, like, sewers, I guess you call them, like these drains, like, on the road. And... Um, you know, we would be playing hockey and stuff, and really it was just annoying because our, our hockey balls and pucks and stuff would go down there all the time, and like it was this. But I remember there was one in our neighborhood, and it had like a little emblem on this. And of course, like, you know, a bunch of like young boys are just think that's hilarious, you know, like no dumping and the, you know, had all kinds of jokes about that. But what I thought about later when I was thinking about this was, and the one in our, one of our, my neighborhood basically said something like, protect the watershed, which I'm like, What's the watershed? Like, I really, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me, right? But it would say, no dumping, protect the watershed. And then I was like, like, I, I asked about it later, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, as I got older, it started to make sense. That It makes complete sense, right? When you pour stuff in your sewer, it ends up in the creeks, it ends up in the rivers, it continues to flow downstream. And so don't be a jerk and throw stuff in the sewer. Simple, Right? This makes complete sense. Why would we want to impact people living downstream by, you know, whatever we decide to pour in? And so I was like, I, you know, I could get behind that. Like, that makes a lot of sense. So basically, it's just saying, like, when you say protect the watershed, you're just saying the things that you pour in here have an effect downstream. So it matters that you keep this water fresh right here and now. It's going to affect all of us. It's going to affect, you know, the water that we drink and on and on and on. As you can imagine, I'm really not talking about drinking water, okay? What I'm trying to tell you is we have got to protect the watershed. In other words, the things that we value today, what matters to us as a people, the priorities, the decisions, the attitudes, mentalities, all of those things flow downstream. And what happens is, and what we should really be asking is, are our attitudes, our mentalities, our decisions, and I'm talking about all of us right now, are they creating a pleasant place to live downstream? I'm not just talking about society. I'm talking about us. Like we have to talk about us. We have to think about us. Are the rhythms and patterns that we are creating right now, are they creating a pleasant place for our kids to live downstream? And some of us, we're already seeing the effects of some of our decisions, some of our priorities right here and now. We don't have to wait till downstream. We're already starting to see it. And so it is up to us. And when Joshua was saying is, listen, this matters for the generations. What if we took a step back and we really thought, you know what? I need to protect the watershed. And all of us have to ask this question. Let me give you an example. I was, heard a conversation not too long ago where there was a couple people kind of just dialoguing back and forth. And uh, one of them was like sharing just like the craziness of their schedule. You know, we've had plenty of these conversations. We get it, right? Like, and they're like, we got this sport on this night and this sport on this night. And we're going to this city and this city. And it's like, I'm like, like my head's about to explode. Just like hearing, I'm like, there's so much going on. And then there was another guy there and he was like, he was, uh, uh, it, it was, well, he was kind of sharing, and then the other person was kind of like, you know, you think that's bad, 
And then they started like, almost like it was like a, you know, we're, we're competing over like who has the crazier, like more insane schedule and who has more sports going on and more activities and all this stuff. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, man, like, and he goes on, he's like, you think, yeah, we're going to this place, this place, this place, this place, this kids are involved in these three things and these two things. And then we go to this thing and this thing and this thing. I'm like, wow. And uh, I kind of, I knew him. So I kind of asked him about Larry. I was like, man, it sounds like you guys got a lot going on. And his response to me was basically kind of lamenting, actually. Like, in that conversation, he was like a badge of honor, but when he came over to talk to me, he was like, yeah, he's like, man, it's just, it's just the way it is today. And that really struck me. It's just the way it is today? And how many things could we say that about? Because it's not just about sports. I think that's one of the things we idolize, no doubt about it. Steve Donnelly was like, it's funny because you're wearing a Cincinnati Bengals shirt on stage today. I'll sleep whether they lose or win, but I hope they win. But think about it. I mean, we could talk about any number of things. We could talk about our obsession with social media, our obsession with our image. And those things that we value, that we think that nobody else is paying attention to, but this has an effect downstream. We could talk about any number of things. We could talk about the way that we approach success. I liked what Lyle had to say earlier. We could talk about as a culture and as a people how we're just so hungry to accumulate more. What effect is that having downstream? If that's all that we're about. I mean, we could talk about conversations about how we trivialize sex as a culture. I mean, what kind of impact is that having downstream? That's no big deal. And we could do this with any number of things. At what point does our inattentiveness have an impact downstream. I'm just asking for a friend. I mean, how many times we got to hear from our kids, hey, could you, could you put your phone down? Like, we, our views, our values, the things that we elevate have an impact downstream. And again, I'm not innocent, and, and I'm not trying to call one of us out. I'm rather trying to charge all of us to think about this because we've got to protect the watershed. Nobody's going to protect it for us. We got to be thinking about, because this has a negative effect, faithlessness has a negative effect downstream, but so does faithfulness. And we have to say, you know what? It's not just how it is today. It might be how it is today, but it's not how it's going to be for us. We're going to choose some different kinds of things. We're going to have some different values. We're going to hold to some different beliefs. And that's going to be hard for us to do because it's countercultural. Countercultural. I can't say that word. But what I want to do and what I want to charge all of us to do is to create a place that's more pleasant to live downstream. And all we can do is what we can do. And there's no guarantees, but we better, we better take responsibility for it. It's our responsibility. And God here through Joshua was saying, the generations are your responsibility. You better be thinking about that next generation. This isn't just for those of us that have kids, by the way. All of us have to think about the generational effect of the things that we do because that is our responsibility. And so are we infusing faith downstream? Are we infusing truth downstream? That's why Joshua, toward the end of his leadership, he says to the people, and this is like him kind of getting ready to, to kind of close things out with his mantle of leadership, and I'm sure he said this a hundred different times in a hundred different ways, and he's like, hey, as I'm closing things out, I got one more sermon for you guys. Listen up. And here's what he says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you're now living. You going to serve those gods? 
And then he says this, and this is that statement. Maybe some of you have on a wall somewhere in your house. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's not saying, hey, it's just how it is today, guys. Just how it is. So good luck. I mean, just try to manage it. Saying, listen, you guys can serve the gods you want to serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. One household at a time. This is how we, we create a different downstream effect. We infuse just a little bit of truth in God into lives around us and watch the impact downstream. God monuments do that. They fortify the future generations. God monuments sustain us through the ups and downs of real life. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the ark of the Lord covenant to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest come up out of the Jordan and the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. God goes with them and no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. They just get to the other side of the river and all, like, all of a sudden like they're like, oh, my, it's clipping their heels on the other side. You know? Like, man, couldn't we just enjoy that for a minute? You know, like all of a sudden, here it is. The river's back to flood stage. Why do I say that? Because the sea, the river closed up again. Just like the Red Sea had done in the past. Once the moment has passed, only the memory remains. And I was just thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it have been cool if God just, like, left that river open? I mean, how awesome. Like, think about how you could monetize that, you know? Like, hey, there's this river up in, uh, you know, up, up, up uh, where the, the Israelites came through the Jordan. It's crazy. Like, y'all got to come see this, you know? And you could, it would be crazy to sell tickets to it, the whole thing. I'm talking about the Ark Encounter being, you know, you think you go like that. Like, there's a river that doesn't flow. Like, it just stops. And on the, you know, I don't, just a thought. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? Like, you could just, like, you had a picture of it. You could just be like, look, I was there. Like, I took a picture. Like, it's right here. Like, you know, it's a pretty amazing thing. And anytime you started to kind of get sad, like, you're like, oh, man, things aren't going well right now. You just pull out that picture. Like, but look, remember what God did here? That, that is crazy. But that's not really how faith works, is it? God doesn't just leave the river open. At some point, the miracle ceases, and it's just and I'm not talking about miracles. I'm just saying that particular miracle is like, okay, that one's done. Now, we got to live on the other side of that. And have you ever been to like just where you've had just this crazy spiritual experience? And you're like, man, I'm on like spiritual high. Like maybe you just got baptized, just made some decision. And then all of a sudden like <clears throat> the real life, like the miraculous kind of gives way to the monotonous. And you're like, oh, hmm. what do I do like now in the everyday stuff? This is when the memory matters is when we get to the other side and the miracle. I mean, and faith doesn't work that way. Miracles don't work that way. If they wouldn't be miracles, right, if it was just like happening all the time. But God does show up, and he has shown up. We, uh, <clears throat> I, some of you feel this, like on the other side of Christmas, there's all this build up to Christmas, right? Christmas music starts, it's probably gonna be starting here in a few weeks, I don't know. But like, it, it like starts earlier and earlier, but there's like all this build up to Christmas and then Christmas comes and it's awesome and we're just having, so, we have so many parties going on, go to so many different places. Like it's just a blast and our kids are loving it. We're going to light shows and drinking peppermint shakes. Uh, by the way, UDF has one of the best ones, but just, but you know, all these good things. Man, see, the ADD, it gets me all the time. It's like, um, but then it all's like over and you're like, okay, you're in this sort of lull of like, Oh, man, like Christmas is over. This is sad. And there's like an aftermath of like, you know, wrapping paper everywhere and stuff. And you're like, all oh, the decorations. And now I got to like do the sad part of like taking the decorations down. It's all fun when you're setting them up and Christmas music's playing. Like there's no like sad, depressing music to play when you're taking everything down, you know. <clears throat> but Jess was taking everything down 
and uh, our three-year-old Jude, he, he wasn't sad that it was over. He was mad. Like, he was angry. Like, he was like, Jess is like, buddy, she's like, he's like, no. He's like, don't take it down. Like, she's like taking it down. He's like, no, Christmas isn't over. Buddy, Christmas is over. Like, there's like an argument. Like, he's upset. And so he's just like, they're arguing back and forth. And finally, like, Christmas is over. Like, no, it's not over. And uh, so he like takes like a string of lights. And he's just like, this is because he's mad. He's like, I'm going to rip these lights up. Like, he's like, this three-year-old. Like, you're going to rip up the lights, you know? And then he's notorious for smashing things. So he grabs an ornament. He's like, I'm going to smash this ornament, you know? I'm like, dang, like, you know? We all deal with it in different ways, right? We all deal with it in different ways. And we all deal with those sort of post-miraculous moments differently. But here's the thing that helps us to be ready for that, to live in between the miracle moments. Memory. Remembering. Remembering what God has done. And this is why a lot of you journal, right? Because then you can look back and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember what God did right there. This is why we have conversations in, in community to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we remind each other of what God has done. It's the memory of what God did that enables us to live in anticipation of what God might do next. And that's where we live between those two memories. Between those two moments, we build a memory. Here's the last thing, and we'll close out with this. God monuments humble us in light of his power and our powerlessness. This is important. The whole point was that his power might be put on full display. Listen to how Joshua 4, 24 says it. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It's the point of it all. So that you remember that here's God. He's powerful. Here's us. We're not so powerful. We're powerless. And I keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting that, and then I kind of get back into the whole self-sufficiency thing, and like, if I just remember that I'm not powerful, but God is powerful, what if I live like that? And so these God monuments keep us humble. Sometimes we just need a reminder of God's power to honestly just put us in our place. God, you are so much greater than us. You are so much bigger than us. There's nothing I could do on my own power. Jesus even said, he said, remain in me, and you'll bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. I mean, we really are powerless without God. And nothing is more toxic to your spiritual potential than pride and self-sufficiency. So I just want to, in closing today, read a reminder that actually Moses gave to the people prior to Joshua, yet they continue to forget. And so he forecasted what would happen, and he said, listen, this is what you need to do. He says this, Moses, to the people of God, the Israelites, when you have eaten or satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, he says, here's what's going to happen. Your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this for me. 
But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God, we close today just remembering. We get God amnesia. In the day-to-day, God, and on the other side of the miracles, God, we forget your power. We overemphasize our own. And God, we're just asking today, God, that you would, even as we sing these songs, God, that you would just remind us. Just give us even just a picture of even this year or beyond this year, God, little places where your hand has been, where you have led us, where you've guided us, where you've answered our prayers. Regardless of where we are today, God, or what season we're in, God, I just pray, God, that we could, as a community, God, be reminded of you and your goodness. And help us to always remember, most of all, God, the monument that was raised up on the hill on Calvary as a constant reminder, God, of your great love, your goodness, and your great plans for us. We lean into you now, God, and we worship you. As we're about to sing, God, we're no longer slaves. We are free people who live in a free relationship with you, God, and we just ask that you would continue to challenge us to live freely and fully, God, as you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.